Okay, Romans chapter 8. Start turning. Romans 8. Turn there. If you don't have a Bible, okay, put your hand in the air. We will get you a Bible. It's always awkward at first because you don't want to be the first one to raise your hands. But get a Bible and turn to Romans 8. We have them. We're coming around. There you go. There's the pioneer. Anyone else? Romans there. See? There. You said that at the beginning. It'd be way easier. I'm going to finish All right. Get those Bibles out. Turn to Romans 8. And as you do that, I'm going to take a sip of water. Okay. Now, um, here's where we've been in Romans 8. Uh, we, we've constantly been trying to make this argument that Paul, in Romans 8, is doing this, is, is really having this huge focus on the movement, the power of the Spirit in the life of the believer. Okay, that all of chapter 7 was, was a huge focus on the law and the implications of the law in the present life of the believer. And then we had this transition into 8 where we see the Holy Spirit kind of come center focus of the entire chapter. Okay, and as we move through this, we've entered even into what we've called almost a four-week mini-series in chapter 8 where the context is really present suffering. Right? There's trial, there's hurt, there's present suffering. That is kind of a reality for everyone. Right? That there is not a human in this world who is devoid of any type of pain, any type of trial in their life. And so in the midst of that, what is God doing? What is God promised to the believer? What is God doing in the life of the believer? And on and on. And so a couple weeks ago, we looked at present suffering in the context of future glory. Okay, that, that although suffering is real, there is a future glory that is en route for the believer that we can find hope in, okay? that we can rest in, that we can believe and trust in, and know that God is going to redeem all things. Then last week, we looked at the power of the Holy Spirit in the present to intercede on the behalf of our prayers. That, okay, even in your greatest weakness, God doesn't let you sit in, right? So as you pursue him, even in your prayers, the Holy Spirit intercedes on your behalf, communicates to God for you. Not a better communicator in the world that we'd ever want than God himself talking to himself about the things that we need, even when we don't realize we need them. Today, we move into Romans 8.28, which is maybe... It's, it's easily the most quoted, quoted verse in chapter 8. And some would say it's the best verse in the best chapter in the best book in the world. It's Romans 8.28. It's on every pillow in every grandmother's house in our country, right? So, so I call these type of verses pillow verses because they're etched on pillows. If you remember Anthony G., the other guy that speaks to he calls them shower curtain verses, okay? Which is way more awkward, so I don't use that, right? <laughs> These are the verses that in our culture have become so ingrained. We see them everywhere, and guess what? They just kind of brush off us, if we're honest, right? That, that we say them kind of in passing. When, when someone's hurting, we'll quote in Romans 8, 28. Hey, man, listen, don't worry. All things, all things are going to be good. You just don't worry, okay? There's, there's no need for pain. Romans 8, 28, right? And we just kind of pour it away. It becomes kind of this easy verse for us to just kind of toss out there. Um, but my hope is today that in the midst of us diving deeper into the text, we would get the depth, not just of what God's trying to preach to us through this verse, we get the depth of his character. Right? That we learn more about who God is when he's ultimately good and ultimately sovereign. Because the truth is, listen, there's some stuff coming. If you think some of this stuff has been hard, talking about suffering, trial, pain, man, there's some stuff coming in nine that's going to be a lot harder for you to swallow. 
Like there's some stuff around the bend in Romans chapter 9 and moving through the rest of Romans that's going to be tougher for you to swallow if we don't land on God, you are sovereign and God, you are good. Because if he's sovereign and good, then we can take anything that comes our way and we can rejoice. Because he is in control. Now, um, as, as we move through this, I actually sat down with a guy this week and I said, and I try and do this a lot uh, with people on me during the week, and I'll say, hey, like, what's God teaching you from Sunday? You know, and so, you know, I, I spent a lot of time trying to craft this and, and, and trust God to preach what he wants to preach. And so I want to sit down and I want to talk to you, like, hey, what are you, what are you learning? Are you learning anything? And so this guy said, yeah, you know, like, I think I'm learning a bunch, but the truth is, is my life's pretty good right now. Like, honestly, like, if I'm honest with you, my life's pretty good. I, the whole trial, the suffering thing, the what do I do in the midst of this when hurt is on my front doorstep, like we talked about, like, what what do I do, you know? And, and so he's saying that a lot of this isn't as applicable uh, because he's not sitting in, in, in that season. And I said to him three things, and I want to share that with us as we get started as kind of a lens that I want us to view this through, okay? First, and I said this to you last week, that this too shall pass, Right? That if you're here today and life is just dandy, right? Everything's going your way. Yeah, you've got the job that you want. You've got the girl that you want. You've got the house that you want. You've got the church that you want. You've got the friends that you want. You have every commodity you can ever want. I mean, everything across the board, you're checking off the list. Like, man, no, life's good. Right? Life's good. I got this under control. Listen, this too shall pass. And, and I don't mean this in a melodramatic, guess what, like your life's about to suck. I mean, I mean this from a, listen, if it's not on your doorstep, it's down the street. The realities of this world, the reality is the fact that, listen, we live in a broken world, a fractured creation, a creation marred by sin, not just sin holistically, but listen, sin in the hearts of every man, woman, and child in this world who in many ways, whether they mean it or not, are going to get you. Okay? And, and that's just, I, I was, I'm not trying to be so grim to get us started in such a celebrated verse, but that's the reality. This too uh, shall pass. I was um, watching uh, Netflix this week. My wife and I have Netflix because we're Christians. Uh, and, and here's what I find, here's what I find funny about Netflix. How many times you say, oh, do you, you have, oh, no, I don't have TV, just watch Netflix. That's like the humble Christian version of idolatry. Right? Like, like, no, I just spend hours and hours watching Dexter. Okay? And that's a confession of my wife and I. Uh, don't watch that show. It's simple. Okay. Um, so we're watching uh, Netflix, and there's a, there's a beaver doc on there, uh, which is a beaver documentary. And how many people have seen the beaver documentary that's on there? Okay, so just my friends. Great. Uh, so on this thing, uh, there's a documentary about beavers. Now, I know that sounds silly, and honestly, it's beyond about half of my illustrations are pretty silly. But uh, there's this beaver documentary on there, and if you watch it, uh, you begin to kind of see that the life of the beaver, it... it <laughs> uh, the beaver... Builds these great houses on lakes, right? We know this, right? They own rivers, and so then they form and create lakes, okay? In fact, the beaver itself, gosh, this is ridiculous. <laughs> when I practiced, when I was talking to 
through this, I was like, this isn't that funny. I don't know why I'm going to laugh at it. But here's the truth. Okay, so the beaver is building his house on the roof. <laughs> this is embarrassing. Okay. <laughs> In the, <laughs> ah! <laughs> in the midst, in the midst of, uh, in the midst of you thinking everything is okay, right? Um, here's what you need to do, and this is this is the part that I share with the guy, and then I'll jump into the deep thing. So I told the guy, so listen, here's your role now. Okay, here's your role now in the midst of life being good, and, and knowing that that listen, there's probably pain coming down the pipeline. Is you need to be prepared, right? Like you need to be prepared for when that day happens. Very stop laughing. <laughs> <laughs> That's my life. Uh, you need to be prepared for what's what's coming coming down the pipeline. And the reason why I bring up the beaver thing is listen, um, their lives, listen, in the document, they, they scurry around and they do all their stuff, and they are not safe until they fully built their house. Right? Like listen, th- their safety exists because they've crafted for themselves this Kate! Stop it. They've crafted for themselves this incredible, like, they live on the lake house uh, made of wood, right? And so then they're safe in the midst of it. They can go out, they can do a nice swim, the whole deal, and then they can come back to the house and they're safe. Here's what I'm saying. When when I'm talking about being prepared, what I'm saying, okay, your life might be great now, but what happens down the road? I'm saying be prepared. Build a spiritual house for yourself, right? Build for yourself walls that are sturdy, a foundation that is sturdy, so when the attacker comes, so when the wind blows, you have protection. Okay. So the reality in this world is that it's coming, and listen, if you just sit and you wait for it and you wait to react to the brokenness of this world, you will crumble. Okay, I'm being honest. You will crumble if you wait to react to the pain. But if rather you step into it and say, listen, no, I'm going to build for myself a firm foundation rooted in the word of God, strengthened by the community of God. I'm going to build a house like a beaver built a sturdy home for himself. That is a good thing, okay? You guys, listen, let's just happen. Three months from now, you'll still be talking about the beaver illustration, so build yourself out. Second thing I want to say to you guys as we get started, even if you haven't suffered, future glory and the Spirit's present work interceding on your behalf should only give you greater joy in the midst of a great season. Okay? That if, listen, if things are great for you, Matthew, right, even if life is just peachy keen, the truth that there is something even better than your current reality should give you joy. In, In the midst of this great season, knowing that even in the midst of that, the Holy Spirit still has work to do and is giving you greater joy, calling you to a greater good than even you you, know, you yourself know to ask for. That should give you greater joy. Okay. So rest in that. I think in the midst of it, what we often do is we tend to just think in a good season that we're doing something right. That, that if everything was going pretty well for us, man, I made some really good decisions to get myself and, you know, like, I, I, I chose this job, and, and I made these friends, and I pursued this gal, and on and on. And it's like, so in, when, in peacetime, when things are good, the focus tends to be on how great we are. In our ability to achieve a certain type of status, and the reality is, no, God is the author of all of that good. He's also still remaining the author in the midst of the hard seasons as well. Goodness, sovereignty. 
The last thing I want us to, to look at before we get into the, the text is I want us as a church and as individuals really just to get suffering from the other side. I want us to understand suffering, but from the other side. Because right now, we've been talking a lot, okay, you're experiencing this hurt, you're experiencing this trial, you're experiencing this suffering, so what does God say? Man, as a church, as Christians, we are called into community to care for, support, and point each other to Jesus. Now, we often are terrible at this, Okay? What we usually do if someone's hurting is we talk too much, right? So someone's in pain, they're crying off in the corner, and then you just come over, and then you usually just kind of throw every verse about how God comforts in the world on top of them, as if they've never heard. It's like Romans 8.28, about Psalm 34, where about and on and on and on, and so you just start throwing these kind of one-liners at people to say, hey, you should feel better because God's going to make this good. And we just kind of keep talking and rambling, and the truth is that never works. It just doesn't work for us when we try and care for us. So I want to, again, just uh, four, four steps, just as hyper-practical as we can get as we get started. Again, as a lens that we see, or that we look through as we look at the rest of the text. But the first thing that I think we should do as we care for one another is, um, is be quiet. Is, is shh. It's just to come up to the person and give them a hug. It, it's, it's to just simply be with your friend. Right? There, there's no one-liner that's going to fix it. I often, I used to think there was. Early on, when Verity and I were married, right? We were still married, but like early on in our marriage, right? Verity would be crying. I would walk there and say, listen, you know, at the end of the day, this is really just a functional disbelief in the gospel. <laughs> right. Fellas. <laughs> does not go well. <laughs> that does not go well. Now, is it true? <laughs> but it doesn't go well. Rather, sit down, just be, embrace, lament with your friend. Okay? Second thing, um, pray. Okay, this, this seems somewhat obvious, right? But pray. I mean, and sometimes, again, we want it to be our words. We want to think, what can I think of that's going to make you feel better? And then stop. Be quiet. Be engaged. And then pray. Talk to God. Pray to God. Pray to God. Not just, and not just like the one-liner prayers. Like, God, make this good because you're good. And we want it to be good so that everyone's good and she's good. Pray real. Pray honest. Pray lament. Pray hurt. You're not going to offend God. Like, he, he's hurting it before. He's a big boy. He can handle when you're hurting. That story, if you look to the Old Testament, you look at Job. And if you aren't familiar with the story of Job, right, Job is just, I mean, this guy was like a righteous dude, just doing his thing, had his family, had his farm, and then God comes in and just wrecks his world. Now, there's more details to that story. There's one like God had a bad day. But, so his whole world is wrecked. And on and on through the book, he's got friends attacking him like, dude, you're in sin. This is why this is happening. Or, man, what's wrong with you? You should just repent. And on and on. And so they're just coming at him, doing everything I'm telling you not to do. And in the midst of that, he continues to kind of say, no, God's good, God's good, God's good. But then towards the end of the book, he begins to question a little bit. He begins to say, man, I... I'm trying to stay faithful here, but I don't know where you're at. 
Like, how, why would you let this happen? Why would you let this happen? What happened to my family? On and on and on. And so here's what happens. We read this story, and here's what happens. God comes in and rebukes Job and says, who are you to talk to me like that? Paraphrase. I created the earth. I created the heavens. I create, And just God lays out his accolades, and it is a long list. So, one interpretation then of that story of Job is to say, keep your mouth shut when, you're, when stuff's not going well. Right? One of the, if you read it, you're just like, okay, man, Job was honest. Job was real with his complaints. And then God came, came in and said, no, man, are you, you're talking nonsense. Or we can see that Job was being real. Job, Job was really talking about the posture and reality of his experience and his heart, and he goes to God as God. Here, here's the difference. In our pain often, we go to God and complain because we think we belong on top. We think we know better. So we don't entreat him for what he might actually give us an answer to why we're in the suffering we're in. Instead, we're complaining for the sake of, I know better than you. Here's what Job does. He says, God, I don't get it. What's happening? He entreats God as God, never supplanting him, never saying he's better, but truthfully, honestly, taking it up with his Lord. This is okay. This is not just okay. This is, this is a have to, I think. To be honest, because the truth is that you can say as many little peaceable lines with God, it does not matter. God sees right through them. So be honest. Pray with your friends and be honest. The next one, and as, as suffering continues to fester, here's what normally happens. Idols begin to emerge. Okay? Because really, on a foundational level, a lot of our suffering is because we've had an expectation uh, that this thing would fulfill us. So it's, man, you know, I started dating this guy and he was everything for me and fulfilled all of that joy and happiness I wanted. We broke up and my life fell apart and I didn't know what to do. I couldn't find God. See, at the heart of that, that guy was an idol, right? That guy became more important, became more glorified, became more worshipped than God himself. And so in the midst of suffering, oftentimes these idols begin to raise up. They begin to become clearly seen. And so after you've sat, after you've prayed, after you've engaged and shown love and grace and mercy, we're going to talk to people about some of the idols that they might be experiencing and try to reorient them to have God where he should be. Okay? The last thing, and this one, listen, there's just some mystery. Okay? And we need to be okay with that. Like, at the end of the day, the truth is, listen, I don't know why everything bad happens. You know, like, I, I, I look at some of the stuff in my past, and I hear, and listen, I meet with a lot of you, I hear your stories. Now, a lot of times we land on you, know, I don't know. We don't know oftentimes why God does what he does, and yet in the midst of it, we have to step back and say, he's giving you something. If those two things are true, the mystery is okay for us. Deuteronomy 29, 29. In the midst of the law, the Old Testament law, Deuteronomy 29, 29 talks about the secret things belong to God. Now listen, there's in the midst of God just laying out precepts for his people, he says, listen, there's just some stuff you're not going to get. There's some stuff that's, that's for me. 
that I'm going to know, I'm going to know why. And so, listen, take a breath and stop trying to figure it all out. We need to help people land on that as well. Because if you're, listen, if you're constantly just saying, I got to get, I got to get every answer. I got to know exactly why this little thing happened and why it happened while this was happening. And you try and connect all of these dots and solve this sort of puzzle, you're going to come up short and all that's going to happen is your frustration will grow against a God who is good and who is suffering. Got it? Okay, so let's do that. My hope as we move into this again. It's only one verse today, so I can do a longer intro. But uh, my hope as we move through this again, that we see all of this, and, and, and listen, as individuals and as a church, wherever, if this is not your home church, you're just visiting, whatever, wherever you call home, that we would begin to love people and understand to love God in a way that he's good and that he's sovereign. And so the way we approach everything in our life is through that lens. And then Romans 8, 28, man, is maybe the best news we could ever receive. Right? Romans 8, 28 is the best news we could ever receive if we have our, if we see things the way we should see them. So let's get started. Romans 8, 28 says this. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. So here's how we're going to do it. Like it's just one verse, so I decided to break it down into four separate verses. So we'll have 28, A, B, C, and D. 28, A, and we know. And we know. So before we move into the rest of it, we have to just talk about, just for a minute, we've got to talk about knowledge, right? I, I just I want to talk about knowledge in general because, and we talked about this a little bit last week, but the truth is, in our culture today, knowledge is not knowledge unless it can be proven through a scientific method. It's, there's no way for you to truly know anything if it cannot be run through this lens, this method, and spit out on the other end as evidential, right? As this is proven, this is concrete. Okay. And so in the midst of that, now knowledge has completely changed. And so when we hear this, we're like, and we know, culture would tell you, no, you don't. If you're here and you're a Christian and you say, no, and we know, and, and we start talking about gospels or Christianity, Jesus, they would say, no, you don't. How could you know? You haven't seen him. How could you possibly? There's, there's not enough evidence. Science is just... On and on, how do you know, right? But then, um, we ascribe to a different worldview than that. And by we Christians, right? We, we ascribe to a biblical worldview. A, a worldview that, guess what? Even just a couple, two, three hundred years ago, across the world, there would be no question about this word no. There would be no question of, man, how could you really know, though, right? It wouldn't even be that, because across culture, when culture is always changing, but the biblical worldview remains the same. That we know, and, and I don't often uh, like to do this always, because uh, sometimes I feel like I sound pretentious, uh, but uh, in the Greek, uh, the word to know, and uh, I'm not a Greek scholar, so I might mispronounce this, but it's the word oikeos, okay, oikeos. And the reason why I bring this up today is because this word has a a different depth for us to really understand. What is Paul trying to convey to the church in Rome and to us today in the midst of a culture that's telling you that you can't know anything? And oikeos means to belong, to relate, or to be at home with. 
to belong, to relate, to be at home with. And so here's, here's what Paul's saying. He's like, this is, we know this to be true, not because it's proven, but because it goes deeper. It transcends that. We are at home with this truth. It is indwelling us. It is so much deeper. It's we know because we know because we know. That's the type of knowledge he speaks of here. Not something that he just goes out and says, all right, guys, I'm going to give you the seven steps. I'm going to break it down. And at the end, we're going to see this is who God is. But rather, we know that we know that we know. So, for example, um, I know that Verity loves me. Now, can't be tested, right? Like, I, I don't know how we would test that to a scientific method to prove that her affections and emotions for me are love. But being her husband and looking at her actions, the only thing I could possibly know is that, yeah, my wife loves me, right? I know that I know. And so even us, Christians in the room, we know because we've seen the evidence of what God has done for us, that he first loved us. While we were still sinners, he loved us. And so in the midst of that, we know that we know that we know. So a lot of the kind of cultural debate with, you know, how do you, how can you really say that you know? We just didn't. And here's the truth. I didn't know that I know, knew that I knew that for 18 years of my life. For 18 years, man, I was, I was like, no, I don't believe that at all. That's, that's rubbish. That's crazy. And then God saved me. God came to me, saved me, redeemed me. And then guess what? I, I now know that I know that I know. It's an experiential, more emotive thing that can be described. 28B. Let's keep going. That for those who love God, so we know, okay, this truth, first part of the truth, that for those who love God, this is the first clarifier to the promise that's about to come in 28C, the first clarifier, that this is true, the upcoming promise is true for those who love God. Now, a few things on this. First, this is not a momentary flutter of love, right? This is not, right, the first moment every girl saw Ryan Gosling. Okay, it's not like, wow, what does that mean? It's not that. It, it, it's not that feeling you get when you watch a romantic comedy. Okay, it, it's not that trite. It's not that simple. It's also not a works-based promise. And, and oftentimes this is what gets preached when we get to Romans 8.20. Okay? It, it, it often gets preached... You need to love God more. Right? If, if you're not experiencing enough of the promise, you probably don't love God enough. And so they make this kind of this, there's this correlation between the amount of love you give God and the amount of good and blessing you receive. This is often given in, in, I mean, a lot of different contexts. Just continue to, to love God more. Work harder. Be more obedient. Be more faithful. Trust him more. Read more. Pray more. Go to church more. Get more small groups. Evangelize more. If you do that, God will love you more. His promises will be more real. It's not what this is talking about. 
This is not all of a sudden in the midst of Romans where Paul's entire theme has been it's all about God's work and not your own. He doesn't all of a sudden make a switch here and say, yeah, but you need to try harder. That for those who love God is a clarifying statement for the Christian. It's a clarifying statement. It is a, it is, it is a noun. It is a describer for those who see Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That's who this is clarified for, that those who love God. Now, it's interesting to me because I've often sat down and talked to people about this verse who got into that, uh, and I said, well, no, I think there is this correlation and I said, in this context, we would never say that about absolutely anything else. Like, we would never say uh, that for those who love Chipotle, right? That for those who love Chipotle, all the ingredients work together for a perfect burrito. Let's just say that, right? So we would not say that and say, if you love Chipotle more, the burrito's going to taste better. Again, somewhat silly, but here's what I'm trying to be. We often preach this in a way and we think in a way that says, man, we got to do better. And so you show up here and you, you try and be as Christian as you can. Right? You show up to Bible study and you try and be as Christian as you can. You try and highlight all the times that you read that week. You try and highlight the friend that you prayed for. But really, behind it all, man, it you're just kind of putting up this front because you think that's what's going to make God and man respect you more in the kingdom of God. All things, right, as we'll see, will work together, but for those who love God, listen, simply for the Christian. Now, if you're here, right, and you and you hear that, and you're not a Christian, right, and you're here, it's like, what are you trying to tell me? You're trying to tell me that that my life is just going to be crappy. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Your life could be fantastic for the entire 80 to 90 years that you're in. Depending if you're super healthy, maybe a bit longer. What I am saying is that the promise that's about to come in 28C, right, the promise that's about to come is not promised for you. Not promised to you. And because it's a hard thing for me to say, but the reality, the reality, the clarifier for the promise is that you love God. Okay, 28C. So we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. All things work together. So listen, all things, not just the things that are small enough that you and I think we can manage on our own, right? That's usually, so we hear this, like, okay, all things will work out together, and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to see the things in my life that I can handle. I'm going to manipulate, orient them, and then look, oh, it's true. I'm talking about the stuff you couldn't even come close to figuring out on your own. The stuff, the brokenness, the, the confusion, the frustration, the whatever it is, fill in the blank, the thing that you just have absolutely no opportunity or ability to figure out God will. All things work together for good. They come together. The work, they cooperate with one another for good. The big question from this part is, well, then what is good, right? 
What is good? And that, listen, that's like a huge question for the service. So if, if we know that for the Christian, that all things work together for good, the big question is, well, then what is good? Because the truth is, I know plenty of Christians that are starving. And I mean that. I traveled for a long time, met a lot of people overseas. I mean, I, I, live, I know friends that struggle to get food that can't support their families. Okay, I know plenty of Christians, right, who've had friends that have been killed. I, I know plenty of Christians who've gotten cancer and not won the battle. Okay? And, and, and so do you. And so the good here cannot just be this momentary, in this world, everything's gonna work out just fine, the pain will be gone, the cancer will go away, your life will get better, food will be on the table, that guy will come back to you, on and on and on. Listen, that's not the good being communicated. It's the good that we often want, it's the good that we often hope he's talking about, but the truth is, in the midst of the pursuit of that good, here's the truth about our pursuit of good things, is that what we define as good things changes like every day. So what you thought was good Honestly, last month you think is lame today because everyone else thinks it's cool, right? We constantly are changing what we think is good. That is a very, that term is, is just very fluid. Changes all the time. For example, 10 years ago, I would have been excited, probably the apex of things I was excited about, right? That I thought, man, this is good, is getting another stamp in my passport. Right, and that sucker was getting thicker and thicker, and I found my identity, and I was probably like, man, another stamp. I would like get out of an airport, just leave the airport, come back in the airport just to get the stamp from the country, even though I never visited. Oh no, yeah. I was totally in Yemen for six minutes. We <laughs> got the stamp, right? And so that was good. But now, right, I'm, I'm married, we have a home, and so the other day my wife and I got uh, an Ethan Allen dresser for $300 for, from Full Circle Trading Thrift, and that was just that blew my mind. Right? Like, that, was, that was a phenomenal win. That was a very good thing for my life. Constantly what you define as good is going to change. The good that God speaks here of is consistent. It's always good. Theologically, it means a higher good than we, if we're honest with ourselves, generally operate in and think about. It's a good that is broader than all that. It's a good that only God can fully view. Like we get glimpses, we get pieces, we see it. But only God can fully view this good because he stands over all things, presiding over all things, offering all things. And so he works and, and moves and shakes and does everything for the good because he sees it in a way we can't see it. Um, my wife is from South Africa, and so uh, just recently, um, their former president, Nelson Mandela, passed away, right? You guys probably heard about that in the news. And 
Um, my wife was there when, when Nelson Mandela was the president. And so we've talked a lot about Mandela. We've talked a lot. And listen, I don't know where you guys stand with some of the things, and there's always weird things said about him. But the truth is, is that man, in the midst of an opportunity to turn on every white man in this country and just completely demolish that race in South Africa, he gets out of jail and sees a bigger picture and vision for his nation and instead decides forgiveness is the one. Now, for the average black man in South Africa, Mandela was out of his mind. It, It made absolutely no sense that after years and years and years of oppression, right, that all of a sudden those same oppressors that they should love and forgive and begin to try and build a nation with. And so for the person, right, for the average black man in the country who's all of a sudden hearing this president laying down, this is the way forward, for him it seemed crazy. But Mandela had a bigger vision for what good was to be. And so even if there was pain for the moment, even if there was frustration and misunderstanding, there was a greater good that he saw the nation going towards. One to of health prosperity across all racial demographics. God, at a much more exponential level, sees all of creation from that lens. From a lens that says, listen, Mitchell, I know that you're hurting me this way, and I know this is real for you, but I see something you don't see. On and on and on, God sees every emotion, everything, every situation, every problem, every trial, every win, every loss in your life and knows what the ultimate good for that thing is. And the truth is we can only partially view. And so we have to step back and return to we serve a God who is good and sovereign. And so in the midst of We know that we know that we know that our God who is faithful, our Savior who is faithful, is working out everything for our good. Here's why this is great news, because even just the last couple weeks, we've talked about how future glory is this great future hope, and we look forward to it. We talked about how the Holy Spirit works and intercedes on behalf right now. These are both good things. They're comforting to us. They're grace to us. They're, okay, you're hurting. Let me tell you this good news. It's not just as simple, we hear today is not just as simple as bringing comfort to the one who's hurting. It's not just feel better, but but everything that you're experiencing, everything that you're experiencing, the God of the universe is going to make good of it. It's not just a band-aid on your hurt. It is the reality that God is taking whatever you sit in today and is making good of it. He sees it differently than we see it, and we're going to get down to the clarified good a little bit more today, but even more so next week. Okay? Now, um, let's go 28D. The second clarifier of this passage is Lord Lance. It says, for those who are called according to his purpose. 
right? So all of this is true for those who are called according to his purpose. And, and so you see that word called, don't freak out, it just means called, right? That means that, that God called us, brought us in, went and got you. Spend more on, more on that in the future. But God called people according to his purpose. Why? His purpose, his purpose must be the priority of your life or this good will be distorted. Hear me. If God's purposes, if, if God's grand purpose for not just you, but for all of creation is not your main number one priority, good becomes distorted. What you think is going to be good for your life, how you would solve your own problems, are going to be skewed and a little bit fractured because your priority is not to see that his purpose is the ultimate good we can achieve. His purpose is ultimately our ultimate good. The first picture we'll see is in verse 29 and 30 next week, but let me just give it to you today. His purpose outside, listen, his glory first, his purpose is to make his name great among the nations, to be glorified amongst the people, and then in the midst of that, his purpose for you, for me, for humanity, is to make humanity more like Jesus and to glorify us in heaven. His ultimate purpose, and again, we're going to spend more time on this next week, but his ultimate purpose is to make you and me more like Christ and to glorify us in heaven. Now, listen, that might not be the good that you expected. Maybe you wish it was more of kind of a, no, I just want my life to work. Uh, I want stuff to be less hurtful and broken. I want people to not betray me. Listen, I want all those same things. But the God of the universe sees fit that a greater purpose exists for you and for me. And that's that we would look, act, and be more like Jesus Christ. And then our future man will be glorified with him in heaven. Now, if this is true, this turns everything everything on its head when we interpret Romans 8, 28. And if we're in here and we land the clarifiers, right? We, we, we love Jesus. We can check that box. And we know that we're moving towards good. All of a sudden, our prayers change, I think. Right? Our prayers of, God, just please take away this anguish. It doesn't stop there. Still, listen, still pray that. Like, God, pray those things. But in the midst of it, also pray, but if this anguish is to make me more like Jesus, bring it on. Bring it on. If this brokenness is to make me more like Christ, bring it on. If this betrayal, if this pain, if this insert your thing is to make me more like Jesus, bring it on. That is the ultimate good that God can offer us is to look more like himself, to live and to think and to breathe Jesus. Everything changes when that becomes our ultimate 
good, when his purpose becomes everything that we want. And then here, when that happens, a lot of that other stuff just finds its content. Finds its content. But that, what that doesn't mean is that, okay, you just go for that and then your life is just in shambles and that's just what you have to deal with for the next 60, 70 years. Okay? It just means go there and then trust God with the rest of it. Uh, let's talk Jesus for a moment, right? Let's just talk Jesus for a moment because his entire time, he's preaching, he's doing his thing, he's engaging with all of his disciples, all these people around, all these places, and he keeps telling them, guess what's about to happen? I'm going to go. And I'm going to die. And I'm going to raise. And then you're going to go. Now, Jesus lives and then he dies. He's crucified. And there's this three-day gap. And you kind of just see, and you can even continue to imagine, kind of all the apostles and stuff freaking out. Right? Like, what happened? Like, what? What happened? Like, this was going so well. You were converting everyone. We were famous all of a sudden. I didn't have to fish anymore. And on and on and on. And then he dies. And all of a sudden for them, the whole vision and mission seems to go away. But something happens and Jesus raises from the dead. Jesus raises from the dead and there is this renewed sense of the people of God, of everything God said was true. So even in the midst of that three-day period where everything looked as glim as possible, they looked like for the last three years of their lives, they followed around a nut job. But then in three days, everything changes. Because the God of the universe did what he said he would do. His promise to humanity was fulfilled. And so his promise to us today is equally as reliable as we look back on the truth that we serve a living God who sees and hears everything that this world can offer and makes good of it. The thing I want you to do this week is I want you to go to coffee with a friend. <laughs> Real simple. Like, and, and, and if you came here by yourself, whoever you introduce yourself to, that's your friend. Okay? Like, I want you to sit down. I want you to go get coffee. Listen, if you can't afford coffee, literally come to me and I will give you $1.50 to go to Starbucks and get a coffee. But you should probably go to Fire Creek, it's better. Okay? <laughs> go and sit down and have coffee with a friend. And I want you to talk about two things. Talk through two things. Okay? One, how do you know, or, listen, if you're here and you're not a Christian, Okay? How do you know or not know God's sovereign love for you? Just sit down. Like, how do you know it? How, how do you guys know that the God of the universe just loves you? How do you know that you know that you know? Just sit down. Have that conversation. The second thing, and this is, this is really for the Christian. This one's tough. When you meditate or when you just think about your life, when you think about what is good in your life or what is good that's coming down the road, right? The, the future, like, I can't wait till this happens. When you start thinking through the good in your life, does becoming more like Jesus ever even make the list? Is that ever on your radar? Is it, I mean, is it even there? Man, these are all the great things that God's doing. But if I look more like Jesus, that's just a bonus. 
Just have that conversation. Does that ever make the radio? And if it doesn't, have some more conversations about why not. Because the greatest possible good that we as man can experience is to become more like Jesus and to be glorified. That's right. Thank you for grace. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for your work in the midst of God, good seasons and bad seasons. I want to pray for the people in here, Lord, that are just that are just sitting in, in just some pain right now. God, that are sitting in a lot of questions. That are trying to figure out where you're at. God, they don't know which way to turn. They don't know who to talk to. They feel like you're distant. Lord, I pray first and foremost, Lord, that you would just draw incredibly near. And if, and if you already are near, God, just be loud. God, we are stubborn. We are fickle. We, we oftentimes plug our own ears because we don't know what to listen to. So, God, I pray that you open our ears, you open our eyes. God, that you would just love and bring comfort and peace to them in a supernatural way, the power of the Spirit of the And then, God, God, give them a vision. Give them just what we can only see partially, God, what you can see fully. God, give them a greater vision for what you're doing. God, how you're making good of, of this reality for them. How, God, you're conforming, God, their mind and their heart and their soul and their body to look like Christ. To function like Jesus. Lord, if there are things in all of our lives that get in the way of our desire to have that at our utmost, to look more like you, Jesus. I pray, Lord, just as you tell us in Psalm 139, I mean, just root that, root out that in us, search us, know us. God, might we confess, repent, lead us in the way of the last Lord, bless us as we worship. This is, this, this, it's, it's one verse that's celebrated across our Christian world and I mean, across culture in general for so many years. God, we celebrate that the God of the universe, God, that you love us. That you love us desperately. And God, you proved it to us through going to the cross. God, there need not be anything else you ever do that everything was proven there in that moment. And now we serve you risen knowing that you work in and through every situation, good and bad, to make us more like Christ. Lord, bless us as we worship. Bless us as we respond. To your name we pray. Amen.